you for tuning in to the Push Through Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Reeves. I am a licensed professional counselor with a private practice here in Atlanta, Georgia, where I specialize in perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And on the Push Through Podcast, we're going to talk all things motherhood, womanhood, childhood, and everything in between, and sometimes random things that are on my mind. So please sit back, relax, and let's have a chat. Hey guys, it's Keisha. Um, I have a really exciting show for you today. I'm interviewing my mother, Ernie, and it's so interesting what the day unfolded. So I actually recorded this today, and today is January 26th, although this isn't going to go up live until Wednesday. Um, What is interesting is in the middle of us recording, my husband walks in and he says, Kobe Bryant just died. And my husband is a huge Kobe Bryant fan. So he was devastated. And we took a second to kind of process everything that was going on in the midst of me interviewing my mom. Well, also to kind of add to some context of it, this interview that I did with my mom, a lot of the information that you'll hear are some things that I already knew and then some new details that I didn't already know. And although my mom did share some pretty intimate details about her childhood and her young adulthood, there were a good bit of things that she did leave out for her own personal reasons that weren't necessary to share, but some things that I already knew about her that was just a part of a lot of struggles that she dealt with. So already, you know, having an interview that was pretty heavy in topic as far as trauma that she experienced, and then on top of that, listening to the news about someone that's pretty great in America that passed away suddenly along with his daughter brought a pretty heavy overall day. And so on our drive back home, after interviewing my mom, my husband and I are just kind of like sitting in our car just full of all of this this grief and heaviness. And he was telling me, you know, how just how devastated and sad and awful he felt. And I was saying, I know you're like just listening to all the things that my mother went through was also really sad and heavy. So we ended up having to just listen to <laughs> a Dave Chappelle stand up on our hour and a half drive home just to somewhat lift our spirits. But I think what I was What I took away from today is, and I know this is a super cliche saying, but literally tomorrow is never promised. And I know that when death comes, people get angry, rightfully so. And people will often say, you know, how is this fair? I think that's something that we all can agree on. That is facts is that life is not fair. And no one ever told us that it was going to be or is supposed to be. And there's a lot of things in our lives that we don't have control over, but what we do have control over is ourselves and what we make of our lives. And despite the cards that we may be dealt with trauma, um, with any type of disappointments, with letdowns, with our 
family dynamics, with our economic statuses, we have the ability to do the most that we can with our lives because tomorrow is never promised. An hour from now is not promised. All we have is this moment. And procrastination is almost like the root of evil. Never think that, oh, I can just do it tomorrow. Or, oh, I can just call this person next week. Or let me write myself a note because I can try to get with this person sometime soon. And it may not happen. They or yourselves may not be here. And we can't control what journeys or what paths that we're on as far as what the destination may look like. But we can control who we want to be, how we want to look forward, how we want to make our futures look a little bit different than what our past look like. And we can just work towards that. So listening to my mom, I think that you'll be able to see from the end of her story how she was dealt pretty bad cards. But at the end of it, she took her life by the reins and she made the best of it that she could. And I think that when anyone is looking back at their legacy or looking back at their lives, I think that they can say, while I was here, although it was hard, at least I got this out of it. And I also wanted to say before we get into this episode, um, is that whenever you have somebody that you do love, a big reason why I wanted to do this podcast, because storytelling is so important to me, because people aren't promised to be here tomorrow, ask questions, learn about the people that you love, learn stories that you didn't necessarily know, find out things that you never heard of, talk to them, know them, share parts of yourself with them, open up, because these moments are so limited and we don't get them often. And it can be a phone call, it can be an email, it can be a handwritten letter, or it could be a drive over to their house. But what a blessing is it that we are here to interact with people and that they can make such an impact on our lives, even people that we don't even know. And so the ones that we do know, the ones that we actually can reach out and touch, hold them, learn about them, find out about them, understand them because sometimes it helps us understand ourselves. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. Um, It's a very important and dear one for me, and I would love to hear your thoughts about it at the end. Enjoy. Thank you guys for tuning in for another episode of the Push Through Podcast, and I'm really excited about this week's episode because I have the pleasure of interviewing my mother, Ernie. Hello, Ernie. Hi. (laughs) Hi, everyone. (laughs) We're sitting in her dining room in her home. We just had a wonderful, nice meal, and this is going to be something that's really cool to hear because my mom is an extraordinary mother. Oh, that is so sweet. (laughs) She is super strong, ride or die for her children, incredibly loyal, and she is someone who is built with the superpower of perseverance, and she's remarkable. So I'm excited for her to just give you a tidbit of her story and how 
her mom influenced her as a mother and how she was as a mom. So first, let's start with you were born in South Georgia. Yes. The city of? It's called Deborah, Georgia, but it's such a small, small little town. Mm -hmm. It's a community, really, out of um, Sparta, Georgia. Okay. Um, yes, it's the country. So give us like a visual, like what was life like in Deborah? Um, there were no um, city. Uh, it was two stores. Mm. and Like convenience stores, grocery stores, or just stores in general? Well, just stores in general. It had a gas station. Let's remember that was way back in... 50s. Okay. So there was um, a gas station um, and the uh, gas then was like, oh, well, 25 cents a gallon. Oh, nice. So that was a long time ago. <laughs> so that, and I can't remember what the population was, probably a thousand people. I might be off a little bit. I'm not sure. And this is, Deborah is a predominantly African-American community. Predominantly, yes. Were there, there any white people? Yes. Okay. Oh, there were white people staying there. Um, there was a post office at the time, and we had a white postman in that post office. And, uh, you know, a white carrier. And, yeah, there were white people. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you grew up... Like, on your street, everybody was pretty much related to you? Pretty much. Okay. And everybody knew everybody. Okay. So, um... So you kind of had, like, the idea of a village, so to speak. Yes. Everybody was a cousin, an aunt, an uncle. Oh, yes. It was. And back then, there was cotton. And that's mainly what the women did to make a dollar. They would pick cotton. Uh, the men uh, usually, um, um, what they did, like they had trucks and go out and uh, put wood. Mm -hmm. Which, and explain for people who don't know what that is, what is put wood? Put wood. Uh, it's just, just like the wood they... Um, like pine? Uh, Pine trees, yeah, a group of men go out and they cut the wood and load them on the truck and then they take it to uh, wherever the sellers are, buyers are rather, and they sell the wood to the buyers, which was a good living, really, mm. but back there in that time. Okay, that's cool. Mm -hmm. And you are one of how many siblings? I'm one of five. And your birth order is? I'm next. There, I have my oldest sister and then myself. And uh, from there is three boys. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we had a funny conversation one day. I was telling you how my husband had a hard time understanding Southern language. <laughs> and I had said when Honey Boo Boo came on <laughs> TLC, I think it was, and she was big. When watching her show, she would have subtitles. Which was interesting because I understood everything that she said. So what are some of uh, Southern sayings <laughs> <laughs> that we get 
that other people, for example, <laughs> how we say, um, I'm gonna make a sandwich, so I need some light bread, right? Yes. And when we say light bread, we mean white bread, yes. not bread that's low fat. That's right. <laughs> not that is low fat. <laughs> I, I don't even know where that comes from. Uh, some words like if you're getting ready to go to the store, mm-hmm. and me, my mother, grandmother, everyone said, I'm fixing to go to the <laughs> store. <laughs> fixing, or we say short pants. Short pants. But we don't mean oh. capris. No. Pants that no. are flooding. It's just short pants. Yes, it's <laughs> short. But we just said the whole thing short pants. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the other words? That says britches. For pants. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is that for pants or, or shorts or yeah, uh Pants. Okay. Uh huh. Um, um, you, we were saying, um, I'm gone, mm-hmm. like I'm going to. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of them. And I had told you about how there was a elderly black man at the gas station, and he was like, "All right, all right," <laughs> and my husband didn't know what what he was talking about <laughs> and I said he's saying hello <laughs> how are you that's what that's that means that's a way of greeting you during that time and some people still even today still um, speak that way I mean it's that's your culture and that's what you grew up as so you know that's how you that's how we talk back then um, and of course ain't Mm-hmm. A-I-N-T is one of the favorites of words. I ain't going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> ain't was very frequent. Yes. And something yes. else that I noticed is how names were. So like relatives or people that you guys know, they would have women would have like double names. Yeah. Like um, Mary Wanda or Mary Ann. Um, May Thelma. Yes. Lula May. <laughs> Why did I come up But with we that? didn't say it. We don't say it like Lula May. No. It's like when we say it, it's, it's like one, one word. word. <laughs> <laughs> and I grew up uh, calling my mother. Her name was Mary. Mm-hmm. And we call her May. And it's like May like. May. <laughs> like M A A A A Y. Kind of like a goat was said by. <laughs> yes, that's true. That all of that. <laughs> and I remember when you would tell me as a child how you described Christmas. And to me, as I received it, it sounded so, like, magical and nice. Like, how you describe how Christmas was for you. Mm-hmm. But I know, like, as a child, maybe the experience wasn't the magical. Same. But what was you guys' Christmas tradition for you as a child? As a child, it was magical. Because we were told that uh, there was this big white man with red suit called <laughs> Santa Claus. That would come to your house and come down the chimney <laughs> and uh, drop off gifts. It never dawned on me or anyone else, I'm sure, 
how did he come down the chimney? <laughs> we had a fire in the chimney at the time. <laughs> but it, we just thought it was a, a magical thing that he could do this. And how he could carry all those gifts in that sleigh around the world. <laughs> Never even considered it because I'm a child, so why would I think any other way? So, but that was the only time of year that we got gifts. I mean, that we had fruit and, and nuts and just all kinds of things. And I got toys. So, it was magical and everybody was so nice. And I remember my grandmother... They would clean the house, you know, cause, because it was one of those old type houses where you had linoleum rugs and you didn't have inside bathrooms and stuff like that. You didn't have regular windows like we got today. And they would put down new linoleum rugs and everything smelled so new and, and uh, the fruit. You could smell them, but they had them hidden in the house somewhere. Yeah. So you could just smell the scent. Everything was just, oh, you could just smell Christmas and just feel it. And it was like a feast for dinner. Mm -hmm. Yes, it was. So, yeah, those was good time until they told me that there was no such thing as <laughs> Santa. <laughs> Another child. I know that being in the country, being in the 50s, being, you know, raised, being black, mm -hmm. I know like trying to describe like a class versus like middle and lower class is hard to distinguish because there was just a struggle regardless. Everybody of where was you were. struggling. But what would you say like socially, economically, would you have classified you guys? Oh, because you had a single mother with five kids. Yes. Well. I guess it would be classified as poor, um, but we didn't feel like we were poor. I didn't feel like I was poor because we had food to eat. Um, my grandmother made all my clothes. Um, I mean, we needed for, for nothing. You made very little money. But because we grew all our vegetables, we grew all our um, um, other things like potatoes and sweet potatoes, white potatoes. We um, had fruit trees galore, pears, peaches, all those kind of things. So we were never hungry. So I would say poor, but it wasn't poor to us. Mm. And you said once that you didn't necessarily like that your clothes were made, where I thought that's like couture. <laughs> like, that's like you had clothes that were, you had a designer who made your clothes, but for you, why didn't you like it? Because they were always made in the same style. <laughs> it was just, the, I mean, a dress, simple dress with flared skirt, mm -hmm. uh, top, I mean, bottom to the, connected to the top um and it i there were girls who could afford more and their parents worked for like the railroad company and, and they got a regular salary so they had dresses bought from the store 
and they just look so much better and and I liked it then. <laughs> I wanted store ball dress <laughs> instead of that um, dress that was made by my grandmother. I mean, looking back now, it probably was a good thing to have your dress because no one would have it. Right, right. It's one of a kind. <laughs> one of a kind. So, yeah. So, how would you have described your childhood? Good, bad, or could have been better? Oh, definitely could have been better. Why? Um, first of all, this story, yes, it could have been better. I'll start off from the beginning. Um, one night, my mother and, um, my three siblings were staying with my grandmother. Um, and I, um, got on the back of the rocking chair she had and, the legs broke off. My grandmother put us out. And um, so we went to live with my aunt. And um, sh um, she was mean to us. And uh, had us sitting outside most of the, uh, of the day. Her son was um, really rude. Uh, he was harassing my brother and all this kind of thing. So... Um, Long story short, my mother eventually took me and my sister to my grandmother's to live. My sister was older. She was a teenager at the time. She rebelled and she refused to stay. She ran away. And that left me there. I'm, I'm this meek and mild person. I didn't uh, fight back or, or anything. I just went along with it. Um... Needless to say, there was no such thing back then as abuse, but I was physically abused. She was really a mean woman. And there was a time when um, I was just outside, out, outdoors, and um, she, um, I don't forgot exactly what she asked me to do or whatever, but apparently I wouldn't do, I wasn't, um, going fast enough to do it. So she had this, they used to have this thing called Prince Albert Tobacco, and it was in a little flat can. She had that can in her, in the palm of her hand, and she took it and knocked me. I saw stars, needless to say. She, uh, it just, you know, I was devastated and all. She didn't apologize, didn't do anything, didn't say I'm sorry. Or nothing. So from there on, you know, I would just get uh, beatings often for one reason or another. And I, I, I'm assuming that maybe her life was like that growing up. So I had to deal with this and I had to go through this um, till I was 16 years old. And where was your mom? My mother. In this over these years she had married again and um she had moved um i don't know maybe two miles away um in a house uh, with her husband and my four siblings because she had had his child by then and it's just like she wasn't there she just 
dumped me off and left me. She would visit um, my grandmother from time to time, but it's almost as if I wasn't a daughter anymore. I was just uh, her mother's daughter or whatever. And she knew, she loved her mother. She loved her. Um, Your mother loved her mother. My, yes. And uh, it was just like she just weren't aware or just didn't care whether she was abusing me or not. Did she know? Oh, you said she, it was like she wasn't aware. So you never like told her, you never really told anybody? No, because I mean, I guess I, it never dawned on me. In, in some sense, I was afraid to tell her. She would tell her, which would come back to me again to, you know, maybe be beaten or something. And do you feel like as a child, did you think it was strange that your mom kind of just moved on with her life? Did yeah. you feel like you processed that as a child? I don't know. I just felt like she was not there for me. I didn't feel like she was a mother that um, she even cared. Actually, I never felt loved because there was no such thing as affection or hugging or... I never knew what that was like because I never had it. So, um, this was just her way of, I, I remember one time that I just picked a pear off a tree. That was a tree just for anybody and ate the pear. And because I did that, that was a whipping. I just didn't think that was, you know, something. Mm -hmm. Every morning, and I think I was in the first grade, I would have to, there was this thing, it was like, it's hard to describe, but it's the spring. It was a spring where you get water, like mm -hmm. running water off, mm -hmm. and it just, they call it spring. I would have to get up um, by five o'clock. So I go to the spring to get a bucket of water so she would have fresh water to drink mm -hmm. during the day. Mind you, there were two men in the house. <laughs> it was dark. And you were how old? Uh, first grade, probably six mm. or seven, maybe seven. Um, it was dark going down there, but you, you adapt to stuff like that and you just don't fear because, I mean, you know, it's not going to help anything anyway. And... There was this, in the spring, there was this uh, snake, a water moccasin. He had, had a hole within the spring. And uh, you had to know when to dip the water out. You had to wait. If he was there, you couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. You had to wait when he's in there, dip the water out and go. Because a water moccasin is really poisonous. And you would just die. Mm -hmm. But... You know, I had no choice. I had to go down there, walk to it, which was a good walk, and then take a water. And every afternoon after I uh, get home from school and take my clothes off, I have to go get water again. Or, or and I should say, we had this horse called, we called her Maul. Maul? Malt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and um, 
the men, for whatever reason, <laughs> couldn't take the horse to a, a stream of water so he could drink. I would have to walk that horse every evening <laughs> to get let him drink as much as he wanted to drink and walk him back up there. After that, I had to cut wood for them to have to burn in the fireplace. You know, it was just uh, one thing after another one, always. That's why I feel the way I do it, as far as having a um, uh, happy childhood or anything mm, like that, mm, one of those such things. Mm. And it sounds like there was no alternative like you didn't have options. Mm -hmm. Like this is just what it was: adapt it's, or nothing. Basically, or nothing. yeah. Well, in my mind, there were no options. I don't know if I could have gone to move with my mother and live with her. She never asked. An option and was never presented to you. It was never presented. I was a little girl. How would I know anyway? And like I said, until I was sixteen. And that last straw was when I could never go to plays or um, do anything at school. Like extracurricular activities. Yeah. I had to come home. Wouldn't let me go be, you know, a visit a friend or anything like that. And, and then when I was 16, uh, my cousin, male cousin, who had a car, and he asked me that I, if I wanted to ride with him to go see my aunt. And I said, sure. You know, didn't think nothing of it, and I was going to get in the car. Well, before um, I got to get out and get to the car, she told me I wasn't going anywhere. And uh, I said, well, I'm just going to visit my aunt. Well, uh... Uh, that didn't sit well with her. She, uh, the wood that you cut, it's like that, this, I mean, large piece of log. She picked it up to hit me with it. She would have really, literally knocked me out. <laughs> but at that point in time, and I don't know why, I just uh, grabbed the wood. And by 16, I was stronger than she was because she was old. Getting older. And I wouldn't hit her, but I wouldn't let her hit me. And then she let it go and, and went back inside. And I just got in the car. And I just remember I was so devastated. Even though I did nothing, but I just cried the whole way to visit my aunt. So the whole experience was, well, after going to visit my aunt, I didn't enjoy it because... <laughs> all of that happened. All of that happened. So, um, after that, I made up my mind that, um, you know, I wasn't going to stay there anymore. And I think I must have gone because I can't remember exactly how it happened. And then asked my mother, was it okay for me to stay there with them? And so, I don't know how long it was, but I moved there. And it wasn't that great there either. Mm. And that was because my sibling was, um, um, my sister was sort of jealous, I would think. She had a room to herself. She didn't want to share it with me for me to, to sleep there. 
uh, my brothers, it was a disruptive house. Because it was three brothers. Three brothers then. Everybody just do whatever. I wasn't used to that. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to, uh, you know, it was almost like you had to fight to survive there. My, uh, and I grew up being a fighter anyway, because living there, you didn't have no choice. Um, so eventually, um, I let them know where I stood and where, what I wasn't going to take. So my sister, of course, tried to use me to handle her battles with them. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, it, it was disruptive. Hence the reason why I married early. At 18. At 18. I wanted to get out of that environment. From that environment, I jumped into something even worse. It's just one bad thing after another one. One bad thing after another one. And sometimes, like even when I talk to some clients, I'll explain that when we are so used to chaos... When we don't have chaos, it feels uncomfortable, although we don't necessarily want chaos. Yes. Do you feel like after a while, that that just seemed like the norm? Like going from your grandmother's to going to your mom's to then going to that type of marriage, did it just feel like this is just what life is? Well, I can say that I was prepared for it because I had gone through so much with my grandmother, the physical abuse. I was prepared for the abuse that I got from him to the point where I wasn't afraid. I've had a lick upside my head, so I wasn't afraid of him doing it because she had done it. My mother never hit me, so it, it wasn't about abuse with her. It was more or less the household was just out of control. And you don't want to deal with your sister and her anger issues and all that kind of stuff all the time. So, yes, uh, this man, um, I don't know, what's the word for it? Um, the first time he uh, attacked me and um, uh, abused me, I had, I was... Actually, I was leaving the house, and I was I had, had walked uh, so far, and it was this field, and I saw him coming, so I ran in, into the field. But he ran and caught me, and it was this old man in this car who was handicapped. He had no legs. He stopped and said, man, you need to leave that woman alone. I'll never forget that. Of course, that didn't stop him. But, you know, so... Um, went through that, didn't leave or anything. You, you, I didn't know anything about leaving at that time. And where would I go? I came from this bad uh, in, uh, place, my mother. There was no place for me to go. Mm -hmm. So, And also, for context, since you guys were in the country, mm -hmm. the culture, men oftentimes were Abuse. physically abusive to, uh, their, to wives. their wives. Yes. And then, you know, not having a job cause, because I didn't have a job at that time. So, you have to just deal with stuff 
until the day come, which is what I did until the day came that I could, you know, move on or, or go to work or become independent. Mm. So um, I went through that for years too. Actually, I was with him for 11 years. And, you know, in that 11, in, uh, 11 years, I had two children. Uh, but he was, um, he drank a lot. He did drugs. Um, women galore, always um, having other women. And um, so it came to pass that I did go to school, got a job, and I began to distance myself in the sense of caring for him, that the love was gone. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when I was ready to, to walk out and let it go, well, my children didn't want to stay. I had to go back to my parents again because I didn't have a place to stay. I didn't have to make enough money to, you know, mm -hmm. um, to leave. But I would leave and then come back, leave and come back. And this uh, time, um, he was arrested by the police. Um, and they put him in jail for DUI or something. And um, the next call I got was from him. And after that, they called to tell me he had hung himself in jail. You know, and he, he passed away. I don't really think he hung himself. I think something happened. But to me, at first it was, you know, it's just like you have an abuser, they gone, you don't know what to do with yourself, you've never been alone, you you know, and I had to navigate through that. And so, um, after that, I began, I had nightmares that he was coming back. Like, I guess I was relieved that mm -hmm. he was gone. Mm -hmm. And I started having these nightmares, and he was coming back, and I was just saying, oh God, please don't let me come back. Like so, you had escaped, and now yeah, this yeah. this time without him was going to be short-lived. Yes, yes. So after that, after I crossed, got through all of that, then I could see um, myself. That's when I started to flourish and be my own person, live my own life, and have my own place mm -hmm. so so to like to kind of like step back because that's a lot it is a lot <laughs> that's a lot and that was just kind of the surface that, that's just yeah, the short that's just a short version of, version of it yeah. um so we've talked about some abandonment with your mom yes. physical abuse from your grandmother yeah and uh, physical abuse from your first husband mm -hmm. plus being a widower in mm -hmm. how old were you 20 oh how old was i 28 i 28 I a suppose. widow with two kids yes. two boys 
And did you ever have a moment in any of these intervals to sit back and reflect everything that you had been through and what impact it had had on you? I really did not, I don't think, because I didn't like to dwell on things. It only make me, made me sad because I couldn't do enough, anything to change it or do anything about it. So I never really had, and to be honest with you, I was thinking about this the other day when you told me you were going to do this. And, um, and I was thinking about all of it. I was in bed, actually, and I was thinking about it. <laughs> And tears just came from nowhere. Did they, Mom? <laughs> and you know why, though, probably? Why? Because we never really talk about it. Like, it's an extent. No. When we talk about it, it's usually like in a brief moment, like, oh, yeah. there was this time. Yeah. And then yeah. we move on and we talk about, the, oh, there was this time. We never just sit and yes. just talk about it. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> and I think that that's. Like you said, I think a lot of people, especially from that era and beyond, or just people who go through trauma in general, it's so much easier to repress it all mm. because no one wants to be sad and they That's need right. they feel like they need to just keep going. I got too much going on. I don't have time yes. to sit in this space. And why, why would you want to bring it back up? Mm -hmm. You know, what good is it going to do? So, so then let me ask you this. When did you ever heal from all of that? Or have you? Uh, no, probably not. Um, to to um, answer that, then I have to go through another whole <laughs> segment of stuff that I just let that be. <laughs> uh, healing, um, no, still. I just um, just suppress and go on because I still feel like what can be accomplished by it if I, you know, mm -hmm. it just brings up bad memories and stuff you prefer not to even think about because you feel helpless and, you know, um, after I had become an adult, you feel stupid for staying, mm -hmm. you know? When you think back. When I think back. That I should have done this and I should have done that. And so it's best just not to even think about it. So one thing that I, I feel like is the when I talk about how mothers influence women as a woman or as a mother, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I feel like the biggest thing about you that has influenced me is you could have easily went left. You could have got on drugs. You could have been out there twerking in the street, you know, if you wanted to. Like, you really could have. You could have dropped your kids off somewhere yeah. and throw the deuces out. And no one would have blamed you because you had to deal with a lot, you know? That is true. Um, but you didn't. Uh -huh. You were the first person in your family to go to college. 
Yes, that's you true. became an RN. Mm-hmm. You moved up through the ranks, mm-hmm. made a very great salary for yourself. Yes, and compared to your family as a whole, you are very different from them in the regards of you've traveled, you've built a home, you've created a legacy for yourself. Um, financially, you have done very well, and. That's remarkable considering your your mother couldn't even read or write. That's true. Yes. And that's amazing. And that's perseverance and that's a lot of strength. How did you not go left? Like what was it about you that kept moving forward? Thinking about thinking back. I think it was my children. Because I had to go through so much. And so I wanted to them not to have to deal with stuff like that. And so, you know, I had to put that aside and try to take care of them the best I could. And that's probably it. Because it's easy to go the other route. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it takes little of nothing. And... You know, sometimes you 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 might think uh, just give up and just stop fighting, just let it whatever happen happen. But I couldn't do that to my children because I had to go through stuff. And then I always think that maybe God, you know, put me had me to go through this like the first. Um, in uh, of the abuse with my grandmother, knowing I was going to marry this man to prepare you to prepare me for that, so I'll be able to withstand it. You know, I try to look at it like that uh, um, all the time because it did prepare me. Believe it or not, some people are not prepared and cannot go, just can't make it through. But I was. Of course, then I could look at it and say, well, I should have left. And, you know, you just, uh, there are no good answers, mm-hmm. I suppose. Mm-hmm. But out of it, you did get two kids. Yes. And what was motherhood like for you? Especially since you became a mom at 19? Uh, 18. 18. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily having had a real model True. For a mom, per se? Well, I knew what I would like, how I would like to have been treated. Mm-hmm. So, even though I was a disciplinarian, and that probably came from my grandmother because she was so, um, she was more abusive, but she was disciplined. And it may have come from that, but I just didn't want them to, any of my kids, to go the wrong way or do the wrong thing. I I don't even know why, but I feared prison and stuff like that. For them? For them. Because, you know, you had to train your kids. You had to educate them. You had to... You know, do things that you needed to do to let them see there's a better life than going to prison 
And I didn't want that for them. So, you know, um, I tried to do whatever I could in order for them, you know. I'm not saying I was perfect. There are some things I may not have done right. I'm sure. But, you know, I tried to give them the things I didn't have. Mm -hmm. Like a decent home. You know, um, they had their own room, everything, because they had got more. Mm -hmm. You know, you got more when I grew up. It wasn't back then in the olden days, so. And stability. I think yes. that a big thing that you provided yes. was stability versus what you had. Because my way of showing love was to um, make sure you had what you need. Uh, food, clothes, shelter, you know, the whole thing. Um, um, uh, I was always overprotective, I think. You know, because uh, didn't want anything to happen to, to my kids and stuff. So, you know, I, I, I hope I was. <laughs> <laughs> you were. <laughs> You are. And I don't think, like, when you were saying, like, I don't think I was the best mom. I don't think anybody is the best. Like, as far as, like, you are perfect. You get an A, A plus. I think there's no dress rehearsal to parenthood. Yeah, not. Everybody just wings it. And I think we all go into parenthood with our own personal stuff that we That's sort true. out as we learn, as we go, and we get better and better and better. And I think my brother had said that he always wouldn't have a relationship with his daughter to be the same that he's had with you. Mm -hmm. And how he could just sit on Saturday mornings and just talk with you about life mm -hmm. and have that open communication. Mm -hmm. And how in something, I don't know if you want us to share this, and if you don't, I'll cut it out. But mom is also a survivor of cancer twice. Oh, yeah. That's true. <laughs> and after all after of, all of that. She didn't have to survive cancer twice. Yes. That's and I true. remember the first time we were devastated. That is true. And I was at work and I couldn't even stay at work. I just left and got in the car and drove home. And I remember you told my brother and he had to pull over. Yes, he did. And um and we were just like trying to just like navigate that, but that was how important you were to us. And I think that that just shows what a huge impact that you made on us, regardless if you think that you were perfect or not. I mean, I think you've done a damn good job. Well, thank you for that. Because <laughs> one of the things I always did with, I know for sure the boys, um, we all, because we started off just us, us three days before I got married again. Um, if you got a, a complaint, if something you don't like, we will discuss it. We'll have the, a discussion period. I'm not saying it's going to go your way. <laughs> I'll hear you <laughs> but out. I will hear you out because I never got that. Mm. And so I wanted them to feel free to talk about anything to me. Mm. So that's why I don't know whether this is, is something I need to put in there, but that's why it, it bugs me when people say uh, it takes a man to raise a, a, a son. It does not. A woman can raise a son just like a man. 
and they can be the best man. Uh, you don't have to be a man to raise your son. So, I just need to say that. <laughs> Drop that <laughs> controversial just, comment out there. Put it out there. Put it out there. Folks going to be right here. <laughs> always say that. And I just want to say, no, it does not need a man. You going to be a man anyway. All you need is the guidance of what's right and wrong and all that. You feel like if, if a, a man has a strong mother, strong, functional healthy mother, then she can help him become who he's supposed to be without necessarily having a father. Without having a father in the home. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. In the home. Okay. Exactly. Um, Because a man, he's going to be a man anyway. That's his, his DNA is to be a man. Or, you know, all you need to do is to show him right wrong how to treat people how to treat a woman how and all that kind of stuff that's all but anyway okay well, I got bef- that point. <laughs> before we wrap up what would be a tip that you would give to a, a woman who is raising kids by herself a single mom and may have come from a background of trauma like yourself that has had some self-doubt in her parenting. What advice or tips would you provide to her to keep pushing through? Well, hmm. I like counseling is a good thing for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I I was I've never had had counseling per se, as far as my life went, and I may have should have had it. Um. But it was the times that I was raised in. So I had to make that way for myself by just putting that to the side and focusing on the here and now. So um, my advice would be, if you need counseling, if you are receptive to counseling, then yes, go see someone. Talk to someone. You do need to talk to someone. Even if it's a relative. Um, me, myself, would never talk to a relative <laughs> or a friend. If I had to talk to someone, it would have to be someone. I mean, I, I would think counseling would be better because I would want someone who's who I'm I know biased. will. Yeah. And I would put it in the streets mm-hmm. or anything like that. So, I think I should have talked to someone. It probably wouldn't be after the other night of of it seeming to have some effect on me. It may not have been like that had I just let it out Mm -hmm. before. Um, So, yeah, I think I would give her that advice Mm, if anything. That's good advice. That's good. Mm -hmm. So when is um, autobiography dropping? When, when can we pick it up at Barnes and Noble and let Tyler Perry turn into a screenplay? Oh, well, you know. I'm here for it. That would take a lot of writing, I don't know. I got a lot of time on my hand you right do. now. You are retired now. I am retired, so 
I tell you, <laughs> it's, it's been a whirlwind and it's not over yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I love life, believe me. Finally got the chance to love life. Because I was doubtful there for a while. Because yeah. I always felt I made the worst decisions <laughs> ever as far as relationship and stuff like that. But it is what it is. Well, thank you for being a guest. You welcome. <laughs> I was terrified. You did it. You made it through. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Push Through Podcast. Please rate, review, and share. If you have any questions or comments or have anything that you want to say about this recent episode, please email us at Keisha at KeishaReeves.com. Follow us at Push Through Box on Instagram. Until next time, keep pushing.